It's a great movie. The Pursuit of Happiness. And the character that uh, Will Smith plays just achieves a measure of success that was beyond his wildest dreams. He, he worked hard. He devoted himself to a, to a worthy goal. He gave everything that he had. But in the end, there is more to life than even that. As he walks down the street, what is facing him is, is the rest of his life. Now he, he has an opportunity. And then what does he do with that opportunity? And how does he live through the seasons and the years and the decades that are out there ready to embrace him? What's he going to do when he fails? What's he going to do when he has even more success? What's he going to do to be a role model to his son as the years keep on rolling? There are big, big questions about the pursuit of happiness that go far beyond what we understand sometimes as the pursuit of happiness. In 2013, the American College Health Association surveyed close to 100,000 college students from 153 different campuses about their health. When asked about their experiences, over the past 12 months, 84% felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. 79% felt exhausted. 60% felt very sad. 57% felt very lonely. 51% 51% felt overwhelming anxiety. And 47% felt things were hopeless. They're beginning the pursuit of happiness. One of the most respected college basketball coaches of all time, Jimmy Valvano, said this about life. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. And I, I like that quote, and I have a lot of respect for Jimmy Valvano, and I know he's not trying to give an entire course called The Meaning of Life in that quote, but as much as I like it, there's more. There's more to that. If you, if you laugh about what, if you think about what, if you cry about what, I know it can be a full day, but how does that relate to what you're pursuing? How does that relate to something that's maybe bigger than yourself? If you want to have something special, ultimately, it's got to be bigger than you. Psalm 127 tells the truth about the pursuit of happiness. And I'd like to talk to you about that today. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps Awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. We're just going to do those two verses today. Psalm 127, two verses, but don't think you're going to get out early. Don't think I'm going to get through this quickly. Two verses, but they are huge. Eugene Peterson 
put it this way in his translation of Psalm 127, the message. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? And I kind of hear this question in between the lines. How does who you are connect with who he is and what you do connect with what he does? It's easy to live defensively without even knowing it. It's easy to live defensively without wanting to live defensively. It's easy to live defensively because the culture reinforces it. One of my favorite books, Love at Last Sight, has a great paragraph that kind of focuses that idea. The world tells us that if we want to get the most out of life, we need to get really good at doing things simultaneously. So why not watch a ball game, relax, while preparing a presentation, work, and talking to your spouse about a big decision, connect. You've just killed three birds with one stone, right? Relax, work, connect. The problem is that since you weren't focused, your spouse felt unimportant, your decision-making wasn't as sharp as it could have been, and in the end, you felt more stressed out than when you started. You see, living defensively means you just keep doing the next thing in front of you without thinking too much about what it means or where it's taking you. You do the next project. You take the next class. You rock the next baby. You write the next proposal. You check off the boxes. Grandma's coming this weekend. My sister from Omaha is coming in with her children next month. It seems like people keep coming to visit me at the beach because they think it's a free vacation. What's that all about here in Virginia Beach? Um, you know, life goes on. Check the box. Get the next thing done. What do I got to get home to, to, to do for dinner today? What am I going to cook for dinner? Am I going to cook for dinner? Are we going to go out and get something to eat? How are the kids doing with their soccer stuff? We got we got a game. We got a match. We got a program. We got a movie. We got to see Inside Out because Inside Out is going to explain to me all the things about my life, and I'm going to understand. Thank God for Pixar. What living defensively does is is it robs you of the essence of your life. It robs you of the true pursuit of happiness when you just do the next thing in front of you without thinking too much about what it means or where it's taking you. Living defensively misses Psalm 127. It all comes down to the question. How does who you are connect with who he is and what you do connect with what he does? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Breaking news from Psalm 127. God requires us to understand he is doing something with us. This is one of the big differences between religion and relationship. It's something that the world still struggles to understand. There was a letter to the editor of our local newspaper a few days ago from a woman in Chesapeake, and she wrote this. 300 years ago, most people believed that a person needed religion in order to have a moral compass. 
This is no longer the case. It is illogical, she says very emphatically, it is illogical that we as a people must devolve, evolve is going upward and onward, devolve is going backward and downward. We must, it's illogical that we as a people must devolve toward the, the moors of the past in order to have a righteous existence. It's interesting she chooses a religious word to, to punctuate her ending point there. Person needed religion in order to have a moral compass. She says, that's how it used to be. We don't need that anymore. But she's totally missing the point. Her logic compass is a little out of whack here because it is not illogical to, to have faith. What she's missing is the difference between religion, a, a series of things that people talk about and say they want to do and believe, and relationship, the actual day-by-day intimacy that we have with the God who created the universe, the God who created everything that we see, the God who, who created us in his image, and that changes everything. And that's what she doesn't understand. That's why she thinks it's illogical, because in the world in which she lives, you don't need a, a moral compass because of religion. You know, everybody, of course, needs a moral compass. We all need to know what's right and wrong. We all need from the time that we're children to know what's right and wrong, which is why when I found myself in my neighbor's garage at age seven breaking his glass storm windows with croquet balls, I was told very clearly that was wrong. I learned a great lesson that day, and I still kind of hurt a little bit from that lesson. But this relational being who reaches out to us through time and space history, who shows up on the planet as Jesus Christ, who, who walks with us and teaches us, who says, it's me, I'm here. He announces that to a woman he meets at a well when she finally says after a long discussion, well, I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes, He's going to explain all this to us. I don't really have to believe you, sir, and all these words that you have about living water because there's somebody that's going to come. We've been praying for him to come. We've been hoping for him to come. We long for him to come. When he comes, it's all going to be clear. And Jesus looks at her and says, I, who am speaking to you, I'm he. It's me. I came. You prayed. You hoped. You longed. I'm here. And when you miss that, you miss, you miss it all. You miss, you miss the pursuit of happiness in the way that God designed the pursuit of happiness. Her logic compass is just a little out of whack, and she misses it. Unless the Lord builds the house is a huge statement of fact from God's perspective. He is not a religious being. He is a relational being. He presumes that we will catch on to that. He is passionate about doing things with us. He is committed to accomplishing his will through us. He knows what we don't know. So his perspective is more valuable than ours. It's not that our perspective isn't 
meaningful. It's just limited. And so to have the bigger perspective, the perspective that he called born from above in John chapter 3, to have that perspective, we have to look to him to understand what he's trying to do with us in our lives. A friend of mine who works for a big corporation here in Virginia Beach got a phone call the other, the other night at 1 a.m. And all the phones in the corporation had gone down, three floors, dozens of phones. This is a 24-7 operation, and everything went down. And so they called him. They reached out to him. He is not the CEO. He doesn't have a corner office. He doesn't have windows in his office at all. As a matter of fact, he shares an office with maybe half a dozen other people, and there isn't a window in the office. He works for the maintenance department, but they reached out to him because he had the bigger view of everything. And he said, I didn't want to go down there, so I figured if I could find someone and talk them through it, I could get everything up and running. So he got a person to go to the room where he could reboot the phone system by explaining to them every single move they had to make. And when they did it, everything came back on. Why did everything come back on? Because he had a wider perspective. He understood it from a macro point of view down to the micro point of view and he could help somebody to get it rebooted and God works with us in that way all the time he's saying let me reboot your life let me reboot that relationship let me reboot what you think about your job let me reboot what you're thinking about the future let me reboot what you're thinking about the past allow me to build your life unless the Lord builds the house we are laboring in vain trying to build something we call our life, trying to, to pursue happiness outside of that amazing statement from Psalm 127. He knows what we don't know, so his perspective is more valuable than ours. How does who you are connect to who he is and what you do connect with what he does. Point two, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The Bible was written at a time when your security was as good as your city walls were thick. Sometimes even that was in question when some dastardly plan came along from some megalomaniacal person who said, we're going to build a ramp and, and we're going to go over the wall. We're still going to get in. doesn't matter how thick your wall is. doesn't matter how tall your wall is. We are coming in. Security is really about how you feel. Do you feel safe or do you feel vulnerable? I like feeling safe. And let me tell you what helps me to feel safe these days. I can control the security system at my house, I have an amazing security system there, and I can control it from my iPhone. I'm actually going to control it right now. Bodie and Wilson are home, and I'm going to unlock the front door. They're going to hear the front door unlock. They're going to bark, and then they're going to look at each other, and they're going to say, if I can stand on you and hit the lever, we can get out of here. Okay? So now the front door is unlocked, and they have a chance to make a break for it, except I'm going to hit it, and I'm going to lock it again so I am frustrating them right now. But this is an amazing security system 
that I have control of right here in the palm of my hand. But what God is saying when he says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain, is that you'll never, ever, no matter if you have it in the palm of your hand, you'll never be totally safe in this world. The world doesn't work that way. This is really a statement of our connection to eternity. It's a statement about a security that goes way beyond anything we can have personally or militarily or financially. I got a, uh, an email this week from the college I graduated from in 1975 in New Jersey. At that time, it was called Montclair State College. It's now called Montclair State University. And I went to school there at about the same time that this gentleman went to school there, me and Bruce in school together. So one day at lunch, Bruce says, hey, I'm going to make a movie. You want to come? I said, no, I got to go to church. And that's how, that's how our lives went <laughs> totally different directions. So I get this email from Montclair State University, and the email says that they are announcing the receipt of the largest gift in their 107-year history. 107 years ago, it was called uh, you know, the Montclair Normal School or something. It was just a teacher's school, trained teachers to teach in elementary school, trained teachers to teach in, in high school. In 107 years, they never, never got a gift like this, $20 million, $20 million to the business school. And the president wrote, this gift is transformational. And it is. And I haven't been there in, in, in a long time. The last time I was there, I went to the Yogi Berra Museum, which is on the campus of the school, because he just lives sort of around the corner and down the street. When you get to the fork in the road, take it, and you get right to his house. That's how it works. But I was like excited too because I go, that is transformational. Well, what happened? Well, somebody who, who got a business degree at the school, did really, really well, became amazingly wealthy and said, let me invest back in helping other people learn about business, helping other people have business success, helping other people pursue happiness because I want to invest back in what was invested in me. And it's amazing but it still doesn't arrive to the place where Psalm 127 wants us to arrive. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. There's earthly investment that can make all the difference and be transformational and change a lot of things and change people's lives. But what God is talking about here to us today is investment in his kingdom, investment in what he's doing, understanding that this, everything that we see is temporary. Everything that we see is going away. It rusts, it melts, it ultimately gets torn down. And yet what he does lasts forever. And he's saying, have, have a perspective that allows me to use you to build something that touches eternity. Allow me to, to take what you, what I've given you to invest in something 
that is going to be bigger than anything that the world can even imagine. And God says, if you're going to do this this way, the way I do life, the way I live life through you, you're going to understand my purposes and your pursuit of happiness will be real and good and it'll touch your heart and it'll touch the hearts of many people in a way that nothing in this world can do because you can live defensively all your life and it doesn't really mean a hill of beans or you can live according to these principles unless the Lord guards the city the watchman keeps awake in vain unless the Lord builds the house they who build labor in vain and, and you can just transform the way that your life impacts other people's lives point three it is vain for you to rise up early to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors for he gives his beloved even in his sleep this is not a statement that should diminish your work ethic it is a statement that should examine and interrogate your work ethic came across these lyrics to a song called the one who knows by dar williams and and they really speak to this point before the mountains call to you before you leave this home I want to teach your heart to trust as I will teach my own. But sometimes I will ask the moon where it shined upon you last and shake my head and laugh and say, it all went by so fast. 84% felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. 79% felt exhausted. 60% felt very sad. 57% felt very lonely. 51% felt overwhelming anxiety. 47% felt things were hopeless. And that was just the beginning of their pursuit of happiness. See, the big questions from Psalm 127 are these. Why are you working? What are you working for? Who? are you working for? Stanford professor of education and director of the Stanford Center on Adolescence, William Damon, has done research, extensive research, indicating that a sense of purpose is essential for achieving happiness and satisfaction in life. Now, Stanford, one of the great educational institutions in America, and this study extensively done, and it connects really without even knowing it does, to the very heart of Psalm 127. It is essential, sense of purpose, essential for achieving happiness and satisfaction in life. He defines purpose as a person's ultimate concern, answering these questions. Why am I doing this? Why does this matter to me? He makes a distinction between short-term desires and purpose. A short-term desire is, I want to get this job. A short-term desire is, we want to buy this house. A short-term desire is, desire is, we want to take this vacation. A short-term desire is, we are hoping that this will happen for our children. A short-term desire is, um, we want to go um, on a cruise around the world. These things that we 
we think are, are big, and they are big to us, but when God pulls back from it, they end up looking like short-term desires that are okay, but not unless they connect to some grand purpose are they great and or amazing? Because it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, how you get there. If you have a connection to the grand, amazing purpose of Psalm 127, your life is transformational wherever you are. Damon states emphatically, purpose, by contrast to short-term desires, is an end in itself. Why are you working? What are you working for? Who are you working for? These are the big questions from Psalm 127. You see, most people spend their lives pursuing endless strings of short-term desires, and they're, they're not even aware of it. They mask themselves as the ultimate meaning of life. Do this, and you'll pursue happiness, and you'll be happy. Go here, and you'll finally feel somewhat together on the inside. But they never deliver the meaning they promised because there's no ultimate purpose in, in short-term desire fulfillment. They, they are just what they are, are purporting to be. It's a short-term gain. It's a short-term desire. And so the defensive style of living continues and continues as the years go by. And then one day, one day, the bell rings and it's over. Psalm 127 says, wait, stop and think about this for a minute. Hold on for a second. You just want to live defensively? You just want to live for short-term desires? Or do you want to pursue happiness at its highest level? Do you want something that will transform your life and change other people's lives because they'll see something different in you? The pursuit of happiness is to be involved passionately and with great focus in the work God continues to do in the world today. To pursue that will make you quietly happy. To pursue that will bring all things together. To pursue that will always be enough. Before the mountains call to you, before you leave this home, I want to teach your heart to trust as I will teach my own. But sometimes I will ask the moon where it shined upon you last and shake my head and laugh and say, it all went by so fast. How does who you are connect with who he is and what you do connect with what he does? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for these lessons that we can truly build our lives on, that we can build the future on. Father, help us to have the integrity to live life in the true pursuit of happiness, happiness that comes from knowing you and your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might have eternal life when we ask him into our hearts. Oh, Father, allow your truth to sustain us. Allow your truth to call us to greatness. Allow your truth to settle all these short-term 
overarching issues of our of our lives, Father. Allow us to live abundantly in the life that is truly life. And allow us to know our pursuit of happiness is found always in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.